This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. So we had the opportunity to go to Haiti this week, taking young adults uh, down, and uh, it was amazing. Got to see a glimpse of it there. I'd love for you to talk to. Some of them are back in the back right now. Uh, talk to them and ask them about what God did. Barashit, bara Elohim, et Hashemayim, ve'et ha'aretz. Language defines culture. It refines culture and it creates culture. It's our most primitive tool for unity and for destruction. It describes our world, our bodies, our dreams, our thoughts. Language and words formulate what our minds think, what our heart feels, and it allows us to communicate that to others. Language can communicate weakness and power. It can communicate destruction and restoration. Language is a tool for good, but it's also a tool for evil. Language can be a barrier. When we cannot communicate, we struggle to maintain unity. Think about a husband and a wife who cannot communicate well. Siblings who cannot communicate well with one another, creating disunity. Friends and coworkers who can't communicate, it all creates disunity and destruction. You see, sometimes you can fail to communicate well, even in your own language. But other times we struggle to communicate in other languages. Traveling to Haiti, the native tongue is Haitian Creole. I'm learning Haitian Creole, but I'm not fluent. I can't speak in the heart language. I can't understand the feelings and the care and the capacity to understand and relate through the words that are spoken in Haitian Creole. It has to be translated to me. I cannot understand the language. I can't communicate my feelings. They can't communicate their feelings. I can't listen to people in the same method. You see, language can be a wonderful blessing, but it can be a difficult hurdle. Banjai tikreye. Toot, bad guy. Words speak powerful news. It speaks of destruction and it speaks of protection. It speaks of disasters and it speaks of potential to avoid them. On day two or three of the trip, I had to let the team know that that previous week, the National Hurricane Center uh, 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 sent out a message that there was a hurricane coming from Africa. It was developing over the eastern, uh, the western shore of Africa, headed towards the Caribbean. We didn't exactly know how, what the potential was uh, behind it, but we knew it was going to hit somewhere around Thursday or Friday of our trip. Uh, we didn't come back till Saturday. So I had to let our team know, hey guys, uh, I've been processing through this. We haven't really communicated this to you uh, yet. We may, uh, we don't know what we're going to do, if we're going to hunker down and, and, and try to move through that, or if we're going to try to extract and get out, or what that might look like. We we're just processing through, you know, the potential of what it could look like, how difficult the hurricane could be to withstand while in Haiti. And so we're processing through all that. They don't have access to internet, so they're, they're hearing words from me about destruction potential. Think about this. Words have the ability to communicate the potential of a destruction that is coming towards you. Think of what words and language contain, the power that is within them, held within words and language. What you say has power. It has meaning. It has potential. Words can prevent people from taking their lives, and words can lead people to take their lives. Words are powerful. Language is powerful. 
Your words, therefore, matter. What you say has the power to bring life and to create destruction. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At this point, you have heard Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, spoken in Hebrew, spoken in Creole, and spoken in English. For Hebrew, it's seven words. Seven words. Think about this. Seven words communicate the God of the universe created all things, and his name is Yahweh. Seven words. Think about the power that is contained within seven words to be able to communicate that the God of the universe spoke and things were created. It always blows my mind to even think about this. God's words speak, things are created. He is the God who creates through speaking, through language, through life-breathing and life-giving, through breath. God can create things. Words have power. Language has power. Our God has power. And in seven words, we can communicate that he created the world. How can you communicate in seven words the God of the universe creating the world? Words have power. From language to language, from peoples to peoples, from the broken to those who feel that they're whole but aren't, to those who are found in Christ Jesus, language and words matter for us all. And we can communicate power when we speak to one another. And I believe that it's the church's responsibility to understand that we have a powerful message to speak. You have a powerful message within you, contained within you. When you hear the words of the gospel, when you read the words of the gospel, and when the words of the gospel impact your life, you're gaining a powerful message to speak into the life of others. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Why would Paul not be ashamed of the gospel? Have you thought through this? Why is Paul rejected by his religion and people, the leaders who trained him and followed with him, walked with him, knew him by name, worshipped with him, heard the Torah spoken with him, rejected him to the point where they tried to get him killed. The Greeks, the Gentiles, would try to get him put in prison and ultimately sent to his death. He was rejected by man. He was rejected by friends and past friends. He was kicked out of uh, uh, cities. He was beaten to death out of cities. He was shipwrecked and abandoned to death. Like, this man was rejected to the max. His message and himself. And what does he say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Look, if there's any reason to be ashamed, it's when something rips you of everything you have. When something in this world just rips everything you have out of your life. It takes everything. And when, you, when you're left with just nothing and you're just sitting there like, what else do I have? You look at that one thing that took everything and you're like, I'm ashamed of this. this is, I'm sick of this thing. Like, I want to get this out of my life. You would think at that point, the message of the gospel and the impact of the gospel and following after Jesus Christ might at some point make Paul ashamed, mad, angry at the gospel for some extent, to some extent. Like you would think he would be, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. What a powerful way to start a challenge for us to preach the message. Like if we understand really what Paul was going through right there in that moment, how significant is he that says, I'm not ashamed of this thing. Why? We have to really ask ourselves why. Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God for salvation. Paul understands 
that the prize of salvation, the gift of salvation, the blessing of salvation, and what salvation will do for those whom he preaches to, for those who come to Christ, he understands that the power of salvation is greater than the, the troubles he faces. It's when everything else is ripped away from you. All things are pulled away from you. And you look at this gospel message. You have to ask the question, is this powerful? What does this contain? What does this bring? What is this offering into my life and gifting me in my life and the blessing me in my life when everything else is gone? And he says, I'm not ashamed of that. That's everything. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Like that's Paul gets to the point where he's like, man, that's everything. It's all I want. It's all I need in this life because it's the power of God for salvation. Not only that, it's to everyone. Think about this in your mind. When he says everything, it's because God promised to the Jews that through Abraham there would be a seed that would come that would bring salvation to the Jews. And to David that there would be a king who would come that would bring salvation to the Jews. And here comes Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection fulfill both the seed of Abraham and the king of David. Like, he fulfills all things. And so Paul can say, man, first to the Jews. Like, he fulfilled what he said he was going to do. Then to the Greeks. And now he's preaching the gospel to you. Why? Because you have been set free too, not just the Jews. This is a salvation that is for all people. Paul's not ashamed. Because the gospel is powerful enough to save one, and it's powerful enough to save all. Man, that's something not worth not being ashamed of, right? When we, uh, when we went to... Uh, the area that we were going to stay at, it's called Joshua House, and there's an area there called Ididians, uh, surrounded by a wall and some gates. And my intention was we're going to go there, we're going to work there inside of the orphanage, inside of the school, and uh, we're going to stay with our, the moms of the, of the orphanage, the teachers of the school, and the children of the orphanage, and we're going to minister to them. Um, but throughout the week, uh, there's some of our team who's a little bit more antsy than others and wanted to go visit and see things. And so that was brought up to me, which I appreciate. And um, so I talked to our translators, talked to some of the pastors. Well, if, every time you give to Westminster Baptist Church, a portion of what you give goes to pastors in Haiti that we invest in while we're there. So they got to meet one of them. His name's Rodney. Hey, Rodney, I know you watch. What's up, man? Glad you're on. And uh, Rodney was willing to take us to his church. But here's the thing. Rodney's church is in the middle of Wakaim. Now, Wakaim is the center of um, a yearly uh, annual festival for voodoo. Uh, it's where Haiti's revolution began for their independence. Um, and so I asked, where do people come from to Wakaim to uh, practice voodoo this one week of the year, which is August 14th today through the 22nd? So they were preparing for it. So it was, you know, where are these people from? And he said, France, Germany, uh, Canada, United States, New Orleans, um, and Port-au-Prince, so South Capetian, all over the world. People travel to Capetian. So I just want to set, you, set this up for you. People are there to worship uh, for, through voodoo, through sacrifices, worshiping idols, um, worshiping the spirits, um, all these different things. They are there to worship in Wakaim, which is a, about a half mile or a mile away from our church, and so we, um, or from where we were staying. And so, you know, in my mind, I'm processing through, you know, uh, Rodney says, uh, we can go. And uh, one of our translators, Reggie, says, we can go. And I've got 11 or 10 young adults with me, plus myself. And I'm thinking through the process, like, can we really go? <laughs> you know, should I really take this group through here? Because I've been to Wakaim before. I know what it looks like. There's not, there was not a lot of ton of people there last time that I went. This time, we start to head there. And I'm like, uh, you know, still thinking through my head, what am I about to see? What are we about to experience? We heard every night the worshiping going on. We could hear 
speakers blaring um, chants and all those different things. So I didn't know exactly what we were walking into. But as we're walking, um, I remember one of the moments where I realized, okay, like, (laughs) I'm really, like, I'm praying for my people. I'm protective of these young adults like I didn't know that I was. <laughs> and like, I'm super protective of them, but I didn't realize how protective of them I was until these, uh, these guys rode by on, uh, there's three guys on one motorcycle and were sort of uh, yelling at us and, and don't know exactly what they were saying, obviously, because it was in Haitian Creole. Um, but as they passed by was when we like turned the corner and see the banner for the sign. And it was in that moment where I was like, whew, this is not the Wakayin that I saw last time right? This is not, uh, if you think about like a city, um, the uh, downtown area, uh, but think about Haiti, we have this uh, basically like a really open area, dirt ground, um, and uh, you're just walking along and sand is like just kicking up. So it's like in your mind, you can see that. Um, And around it are houses or uh, little huts around it. But what they've done is they put shops up everywhere for worshiping, for purchasing like idols and worshiping spirits and making sacrifices and all those different things, all surrounding the circle. Um, Now, again, let me paint this picture for you, too. The majority of the people that went with us have never been on a mission trip. In fact, one of them had never been on a plane before. So, like, the courage, the the excitement, like, all of that welling up, like, the cultural shock and the, the... unbelievable uh, just trust in God to be able to go and do this, to preach the gospel in this nation and, and to, be, uh, to trust in the Lord and his strength as you walk into literally the center of town where voodoo is being practiced and worshiped, the largest festival in the world for voodoo, and they're walking into the midst of it. All of these young adults, I'm not sure exactly they knew what they were doing, but we're walking into it. The speakers are blaring. People are yelling. People are talking to our people, and we don't exactly know what they're saying, but I know, Rodney, you're laughing, so I don't know what they're saying to us, but he sort of protected us from what they were saying. And we get to his church, which is across uh, the the way there, and um, some guys are still yelling at us. There's some drunk uh, voodoo guys just yelling at us. And in the middle of the church, it came to my mind, like, what do you do? Like, I'm leading this team. What do we do? What's our next move? Do Do we have physical protection? Like, do I have any sort of physical protection? No. Like, do I have an escape plan? Absolutely not. First of all, I'm injured. I can't run. Like, I'm, I'm literally thinking through these things. Like, I, like, and it comes, it's, it's just like, bam, we're talking about the baptismal. We're talking about all these different things. And it's like, speak light into the midst of darkness. When you don't know what to do, when you don't know what to say, when you don't have any actions you can do, proclaim light in the midst of darkness. Proclaim the gospel. Because when everything else is ripped away, when safety, security, uh, the things of this world, everything that makes us feel like we, like we have no language. I can't speak. If we don't have a translator and a pastor with us, we have no language. Like, I can't communicate. Everything is ripped away from us. What is left? Proclaiming light in the midst of darkness. Proclaiming the gospel in the midst of darkness. When you wade into voodoo territory and everything you hear, see, smell, and experience in you is darkness. It feels like you're wading into evil. Like Colossians 1. The kingdom of darkness is around you. What do you do? Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim words and language that have power to save. So we prayed. Like when all else fails, go to the God of the universe and declare who he is with those around you and those who are listening that might hear that the gospel is our power. It is our protection. It's our security. It's our strength. 
It's everything that we have. When we don't have anything else, we have the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed. Whether it's the middle of voodoo territory, Wakaim, or whether it's the middle of Westminster, Maryland, we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. We're not ashamed. But check this out too. You know as you walk into territories of hostility, territories where they disagree with the gospel or reject the gospel entirely, maybe in your family, co-workers, or in your city, when you walk into a place that is rejecting the gospel message, you know it's going to be foolishness to them. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved. As we go, we know the gospel is going to be received as foolish or stumbling block, or the power of salvation. He's either the God who created all things and spoke life into existence, or he's foolish and a stumbling block to you. Paul gives us that clarity. It's not based on how eloquent you are, how good and knowledgeable you are. What is, what is the goodness of the gospel? It's the power to save. When everybody thinks it's foolish, and, whatever, and when everybody thinks it's a stumbling block, remember... It doesn't matter what the world says about the gospel. It matters what the power of the gospel actually contains. You can say all day long that God didn't create this world, but if God did create the world, then how much power is contained within his words? You know what I'm saying? Like if this God really did, if you believe that God really did create the universe, how much power is contained within his words? The God who can speak life wrote letters to you, commanding you to go preach the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Remember, it's foolish and a stumbling block to the world, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Look, and let me be clear. There are no words that can save you. No word can save you. Only Jesus Christ alone can save you. His life, death, and resurrection saves you. But the words and the language that we use communicate the truth of the gospel, which changes and transforms and brings power into people's lives. Words are our means towards communication. There was a time, um, I think it was day two on the Haiti trip, and if you've ever been on a mission trip where you have a language barrier, you might understand this tension. Uh, one of our members, or a couple of our members, were having a little bit of difficulty. Like, I have a language barrier between me and the children, or me and the adults. And it can be frustrating. Like, you want to communicate. You see somebody that you really want to talk with. In fact, some of, you know, a lot of our young adults would start talking in English. And I do it, too. You, like, start talking in English, but with, like, a little bit of a Haitian accent. And you're like, man, maybe they'll understand. And there's just no chance. And they do the same with, like, Haitian Creole. And you're just like, there's, we've got a language barrier here. This is not working. You know what I'm saying? And, but 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 it's not like, it's out of a longing and a desire to communicate. Like you want to communicate so bad, you're like, I'll use any and every means. And so take, take, you take the group aside and you, I took the group aside and I, I told them and I encouraged them in this. You live out the gospel. The way you extend grace, mercy, truth, hope, the way you extend that into this community when, when orphans have no mom and dad, no brother and sister, and we're proclaiming that is, there is a God who has adopted them as his child, and that now I am their brother and sister, and you've been adopted into the kingdom of God, I want you to hear something. How much power is contained within that? How much power is there that you can say, uh, an orphan who had no family now has the father to the fatherless and a brother for a brother? God has united a family through words. Language contains power. 
The gospel is the power of salvation to the world. And we have children that we've been ministering to that we can proclaim to them. Even if you don't have a father, you have a God in heaven who created the universe who loves you, individually you. That's power. Power to save. Look, if you can't speak words, you can live hope. When, a, when, a, when, when somebody can't hear your words of affirmation, just being with them, spending time with them, engaging them in community, playing games with them, bringing a, a care to them, holding them when they're crying, correcting them when they do something wrong, all of these things are extending the gospel to them before you even speak words. And when you ever get to the point where you have some form of a language and you say, Jezi Sove, and they hear Jesus saves, all of a sudden they've connected everything you've done to what you just said. And they know that if Jesus saves, they must have saved these people because they're different. Why does this person care for me? Why does this person love me? Why is this person uh, treating me with such grace when I I, uh, deserve such wrath? Like, why are they different than this world? Why do they actually care enough to come from America to Haiti? Why have they moved out of where they're uh, comfortable into a place where they're uncomfortable? Why? Because the power of salvation power of the gospel, the power of these words, it makes a different in people's, difference in people's lives. And when you say Jesse Sove, they connect it to your actions. Live like Christ. And then when you speak, people will connect the way you live to what you said. Jesse Sove, Jesus saves. And when the world doesn't know, live it and preach it. Because the words of God are the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There was some unbelievable stories from our trip. I wish I could tell you all of those, uh, each and every story that happened. But I want to challenge you with something. In as much as what, we were, what God was able to do through us, you here today, I don't want to just tell you about what we did. I want to inspire you. You have the opportunity to speak, speak power, speak life, speak victory, speak hope. You have the, uh, the power and the ability to overcome depression and anxiety, to overcome the enemy with the words of life, with a language that contains within it the ability to proclaim life over death. Not because of your power, but because of the power of God. Now let me ask you a question. If you believe which is God created everything. If you believe this truth, if you believe that God created everything, has the words and the ability to speak, I want you to hear this. When Jesus was about to leave his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The God of the universe, giving his son all authority on heaven and in earth. And what are, the, what are the words that he uses? What is the language he uses? What is the power he uses when he has the power to create? It says in Colossians 1 that Jesus was there with God the Father during creation. In fact, Jesus was the one who was actually in the process of creating with the Holy Spirit. And God the Father was speaking into it with a creative mind. And, God, and Jesus is doing the work of it. When Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, what kind of power does Jesus have? The power of God, the God of the universe. And when he speaks, what does he, what does he use his words for? Go and make disciples. Man, if somebody asks you to do something, you might do it. Hey, can you go pick me up a Coke at the store? Can you stop by and grab me some food at the grocery store? Like, I need some stuff. Can you grab me some trash bags? Like, you're like, okay, I'll do that. What would you do if the God of the universe spoke to you? 
What would you do if he commanded you with all authority in heaven and on earth to go? Would you go? It was an unbelievable blessing to watch a group of young men and women go. One of the reasons why is because for 40 years I've been praying that God would send our students and our young adults to go. And in the past month, they've gone to Philly, our students, and they've gone to Haiti, our young adults. One of them reminded me three years ago, sitting in a D group, when I said, man, I want you guys to go to Haiti. And they were like, man, yeah, we'd love to go to Haiti one day. And he went to Haiti with me. Like, it's the, it's the fulfillment of discipleship. It's all this discipleship working together to get to this point. And for me, it's watching these students and watching these young adults go and proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you to do the same, but I want to leave you with this. Something not I did, but they did. I asked our young adults, I said, hey, what was one of the greatest things that happened to you this week? I asked some of them individually. We did it as a Devo, which Stacy led. And um, she asked a similar question, like, what did God do in your life this week? And I'll give you a little clarity on, on what, what the experience is like in Haiti. I am covered in flea bites right now. They itch like crazy, y'all. Are y'all with me, young adults? Let me ask you a question. When you wake up in the morning, you either have water or you, you don't have water, but you guarantee this, you're drenched in sweat. Are you with me? Like literally every morning, you're not guaranteed whether you're going to be able to have water to take a shower or the water's going to be off. The only thing you're guaranteed is you're going to wake up in a puddle of sweat. You're like, I went to sleep sweaty and hot. I woke up sweaty and hot. And it's just gross. Like you just, you know what I'm talking about? Just hot and sweaty. Y'all with me? You guys didn't have access to electricity the majority of the time. I mean, when the solar panels kicked on, you could hear like a roar from our team. Like, grab your phones, charge them. <laughs> we didn't have access to internet. We made a joke in the, inside the team that we were our own personal Googles for the week. The only information we knew about everything was what everybody knew because we couldn't access Google. So we just go to each other. Hey, what do you think about this? It was beautiful. We stripped away from electricity, stripped away from water often in showers, sweaty and hot, uh, we were uh, sometimes had food, sometimes didn't have food, sometimes didn't have food we could eat. We had allergies that couldn't eat. Uh, I don't eat anything but chicken. There were multiple times where we just couldn't eat, hungry, uh, went through lunch without eating. There was just like all these different things ripped away from our young adults, not using their phones, not talking to their friends, not on social media, not all of these things. Everything's removed from them. Like literally everything is stripped back from them. I remember asking them this question, and a lot of their responses were similar to this. I've never, had, I've never had so much joy in my life. Look, when you rip everything away from your life, you would think you would only get more depressed and more frustrated and more anxious. But the reality is what happened for our young adults is they saw this. When everything goes away, there's only one thing left, Jesus. And when Jesus is the only thing left, he's more than enough. I encourage you in your life to consider what things you are claiming as happiness that are really just robbing you of God's joy. I love what uh, Catherine, our, our intern, she is in our institute. She's on staff with us. She was my co-leader for the trip. I love what she said. She was teaching the teachers of the, of the school who are all significantly older than her, I'm sure. And she's sitting there teaching, like boldly proclaiming truth, the gospel, and some leadership qualities. And in the midst of that, she says this. She says, joy and happiness are like a tree. 
Happiness is like the leaves on the tree that they, they're beautiful. They, they're wonderful to experience. Sometimes they smell really good. Sometimes they produce fruit and produce awesome things. Uh, leaves are wonderful, but they fall. They always die and they fall. Happiness is similar to this. Uh, we often have happiness, but it comes and it goes. And, and often when it goes, it's actually worse than when it was there. Uh, if you're like me, you have uh, maybe you have a, a yard or maybe a pond that you have to clean out from the leaves. And it's, it's terrible. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're, especially in, I don't know what it is about y'all's state. But like leaves are just everywhere. And I'm like piling all these leaves up everywhere. In the States, we just run our cars over. I mean, down south, we run trucks over it and just let it die or something. I don't know. But um, f- f- uh, leaves are just terrible to clean up. Um, happiness is, is momentary, and then it's gone. But she said, uh, joy is like the, the, the roots of a tree. It digs down deep. It's planted. You, you know when you chop down a tree, the roots stay. Like it's one of the hardest things to do is to get up that uh, trunk that's, uh, that's left there. Like you can't get it up. It's because it's so deeply entwined in the ground. Why? Because those roots are what produce the leaves. When you don't have a deep-seated joy, when those roots don't go down deep, the tree always falls. It's destroyed. It breaks. It does not produce fruit. It does not produce leaves. If you want to have joy, dig deep roots. If you want to have joy, dig deep roots. John chapter 15 says this. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Everything that we get, all source of life, comes from Jesus. When you get down to every, when you pull everything away, when you strip everything down, if Jesus is not the only thing left, you're going to be left void and unhappy, depressed, anxious, frustrated, all the things. But what our young adults found is when you strip everything else away, you find Jesus, you find joy. It's amazing, it's amazing. Ask, ask them this question. Think about this. They did more ministry than they've ever done before, right? You were in God's word more than you've ever been before, Right? You were in more biblical community than you've ever been in before. And you told me you had more joy than you'd ever had before. Look at those truths, y'all. That's what it looks like to dig deep with our, with our, with our, uh, with our roots. To dig so deep that it produces the, the leaves and the fruit that produce happiness and joy that we could never get from the things of this world. And so this morning I want to ask you for something. I want to ask you to use your words for power, for victory, for life, and not for destruction. I want to ask you to listen to the God of this universe who said, go, therefore, and make disciples. I want to ask you to take words of life and light into words of darkness and death. And man, I want to ask you to follow our teenagers and our young adults. How much more can we ask for from this world for the next generation to be going on mission trips to Philly and to Haiti to serve the Lord and to preach light into the midst of darkness? Like how much more can we ask that God is sending and raising up young leaders to proclaim the gospel into the midst of voodoo, to proclaim the gospel in the midst of heroin addiction, to proclaim the gospel in the midst of dark? How much more can we ask, church? Like they are doing what God has called us to do. My challenge to you is this. What will we do next? So I have three, three responses for you. First, speak Jesus. Speak Jesus when nobody else will speak Jesus. Speak up, not ashamed, not worried about if it's foolish, not worried about if it's a stumbling block. Speak Jesus. Because when Jesus is spoken in the midst of darkness, he brings light and life. 
Speak Jesus. When you don't have anything else to do, when you can't uh, uh, rely on anything else, speak Jesus. My second challenge to you is this, live like Jesus. In our world, I want to challenge you to do this. Be who you are and do what you say you're going to do. If you, do, if you believe in God, if you say that you believe in God, he has called you to go and make disciples. Be who you are. You are a Christ-centered follower. You follow the God of the universe. You are following in his footsteps. He told you to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after him. You are a Christian. You've declared yourself to be. Your identity is wrapped up into the identity of Christ Jesus. You've become, you are becoming the image of God in Christ, Christ Jesus, predestined before the foundation of this world. Before God spoke and earth was formed, before God spoke and the universe and stars were formed. Before God split the sea and the ground and created birds and created fish. Before all that began, he predestined you to be conformed into the image of his son. He was thinking about you. He was creating you. He had a plan for you and a purpose for you. And he has called you to go and make disciples. Whether you're a teenager, child, young adult, you feel like you're too old, too sick, whatever. It doesn't matter. You've all been called to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ and live it out. Live like Jesus. And finally, follow Jesus. We have the opportunity today to make decisions. You can make a decision to walk out of this room and follow after the things of this world, but I promise you, just like the young adults believe and have proclaimed, when we follow after the things of this world, we will not find joy. When we follow after Jesus, we find salvation, joy, power, hope. I mean, guys, how do you give hope and joy to somebody who has no food, no electricity, no water, no family, no parents? Proclaim Christ and be Christ. Follow after Jesus into the, into the, into the places where you find the orphans and the widows. Be the father to the fatherless. Be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are far from Jesus. Go and make disciples of the oppressed, of the prideful, of the too rich, of the too, those who have too little. Go and make disciples. Now, I don't know if that's here in Westminster Baptist, or sorry, in Westminster, Maryland. I don't know if that's in throughout our state or another state or another country. The location doesn't matter as much as what you're doing. Go be faithful. Do what God's called you to do. And in the midst of it, strip all the things of the world away from you and find Jesus in the midst of it. Find the joy and the satisfaction that Jesus Christ alone can bring. As the worship team comes, I'm going to leave you with a story. This week, I told you that... uh, None of our, uh, or, or a lot of our group members, I think only one had ever been on a mission trip, if I'm right, somewhere around that, a global mission trip. One of them had never been on a plane before. Unbelievable experience to be able to watch them take all of us in, breathe all of us in. But we had one young adult in particular that only was saved like five months ago, was baptized into this church. He uh, uh, committed to go to Haiti. And in the midst of Haiti, never knowing he would do it, stood up and preached the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And y'all, five months of knowing Jesus. 
in the middle of a country he'd never been to, with a gospel he barely knows but believes, he proclaimed Jesus. You are not too weak. You're not too old or too young. Preach the gospel. Let me pray for you. God, you are the God of the universe. We believe that you spoke. Things were created. We believe that your word is powerful to lead us to salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray right now in this moment that your word preached would break every bondage, overcome depression and anxiety, overcome addictions, make the orphans fathered, help them to have a brother and sister in you, friends that move from just friends to brothers and sisters, parents and that are restored through your kingdom of salvation and goodness and joy. I pray, God, in these moments, you'll overcome pain that has been welling up in hearts, fear, God, that everyone in this room would live like a preacher, like Dom, standing up in the middle of Haiti when he's never preached before and preached. Would you raise up preachers in this room? Would you raise up disciple makers in this room? Gift them with what they need to go and proclaim a gospel in this world. A gospel that is powerful to save everyone. And Father, we'll trust in you in all these things, knowing that you are over it all. And before time even began, you knew exactly what we would do in this very moment. So move in our hearts, move in this church. We trust you, God, in your son's name. Amen.
Remember, you just sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. I pray you have a great week. We hope to see you next week. Go make Disciples Church. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.